This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. H. Ryder Haggard, Asha, The Return of She. Chapter 4 The Avalanche. On the morning of the second day from that night, the sunrise found us already on our path across the desert. There, nearly a mile behind us, we could see the ruined statue of Buddha seated in front of the ancient monastery, and in that clear atmosphere could even distinguish the bent form of our friend, the old abbot, Kuen, leaning against it until we were quite lost to sight. All the monks had wept when we parted from them, and Quen even more bitterly than the rest, for he had learnt to love us. "'I am grieved,' he said, "'much grieved, which indeed I should not be, for such emotion partakes of sin. Yet I find comfort, for I know well that although I must soon leave this present life, yet we shall meet again in many future incarnations and after you have put away these follies together tread the path to perfect peace now take with you my blessings and my prayers and be gone forgetting not that should you live to return and he shook his head doubtfully here you will be ever welcome so we embraced him and went sorrowfully it will be remembered that when the mysterious light fell upon us on the peak, I had my compass with me and was able roughly to take its bearings. For lack of any better guide, we now followed these bearings, travelling almost due northeast, for in that direction had shone the fire. All day, in the most beautiful weather, we marched across the flower-strewn desert, seeing nothing except bunches of game, and one or two herds of wild asses which had come down from the mountain to feed upon the new grass. As evening approached, we shot an antelope and made our camp, for we had brought the yak and a tent with us, among some tamarisk scrub, of which the dry stems furnished us with fuel. Nor did we lack for water, since by scraping in the sand, soaked with melted snow, we found plenty of fair quality. So that night we supped in luxury upon tea and antelope meat, which indeed we were glad to have, as it spared our little store of dried provisions. The next morning we ascertained our position as well as we could, and estimated that we had crossed about a quarter of the desert, a guess which proved very accurate, for on the evening of the fourth day of our journey we reached the bottom slopes of the opposing mountains without having experienced either accident or fatigue. As Leo said, things were going like clockwork, but I reminded him that a good start often meant a bad finish. Nor was I wrong, for now came our hardship. To begin with, the mountains proved to be exceeding high. It took us two days to climb their lower slopes. Also, the heat of the sun had softened the snow, which made walking through it laborious, whilst, accustomed though we were to such conditions through long years of travelling, its continual glitter affected our eyes. The morning of the seventh day found us in the mouth of a defile which wound away into the heart of the mountains. 
as it seemed the only possible path, we followed it, and were much cheered to discover that here must once have run a road, not that we could see any road, indeed, for everything was buried in snow, but that one lay beneath our feet, we were certain, since although we marched along the edge of precipice, our path, however steep, was always flat. Moreover, the rock upon one side of it had often been scarped by the hand of man. Of this there could be no doubt, for as the snow did not cling here, we saw the tool marks upon its bare surface. Also we came to several places where galleries had been built out from the mountainside by means of beams let into it, as is still a common practice in Tibet. These beams, of course, had long since rotted away, leaving a gulf between us and the continuation of the path. When we met with such gaps, we were forced to go back and make a detour round or over some mountain, but although much delayed thereby, as it happened, we always managed to regain the road, if not without difficulty and danger. What tried us more, for here our skill and experience as mountaineers could not help us, was the cold at night, obliged as we were to camp in the severe frost at a great altitude, and to endure through the long hours of darkness, penetrating and icy winds, which soothed ceaselessly down the pass. At length, on the tenth day, we reached the end of the defile, and as night was falling, camped there in the most bitter cold. Those were miserable hours, for now we had no fuel with which to boil water, and must satisfy our thirst by eating frozen snow, while our eyes smarted so sorely that we could not sleep. And, notwithstanding all our wraps and the warmth that we gathered from the yak in the little tent, the cold caused our teeth to chatter like castanets. The dawn came, and after it the sunrise. We crept from the tent, and leaving it standing a while, dragged our stiffened limbs a hundred yards or so to a spot where the defied took a turn, in order that we might thaw in the rays of the sun, which at that hour could not reach us where we had camped. Leo was round it first, and I heard him utter an exclamation. In a few seconds I reached his side, and lo, before us lay our promised land. Far beneath us, ten thousand feet at least, for it must be remembered that we viewed it from the top of a mountain. It stretched away and away till its distances met the horizon. In character it was quite flat, an alluvial plain that probably in some primeval age had been the bottom of one of the vast lakes of which a number exist in Central Asia, most of them now in process of desiccation. One object only relieved this dreary flatness, a single snow-clad and gigantic mountain, of which even at that distance, for it was very far from us, we could clearly see the outline. Indeed, we could see more, for from its rounded crest rose a great plume of smoke, showing that it was an active volcano, and on the hither lip of the crater, an enormous pillar of rock, whereof the top was formed to the shape of a loop. Yes, there it stood before us, that symbol of our vision, which we had sought so many years, and at the sight of it our hearts beat fast and our breath came quickly. We noted at once that although we had not seen it during our passage of the mountains, since the peaks ahead and the rocky sides of the defile hid it from view, 
So great was its height that it overtopped the tallest of them. This made it clear to us how it came to be possible that the ray of light passing through the loop could fall upon the highest snows of that towering pinnacle which we had climbed upon the further side of the desert. Also now we were certain of the cause of that ray, for the smoke behind the loop explained this mystery. Doubtless, at times when the volcano was awake, that smoke must be replaced by flame, emitting a light of fearful intensity, and this light it was that reached us, concentrated and directed by the loop. For the rest we thought that about thirty miles away we could make out a white-roofed town set upon a mound situated among trees upon the banks of a wide river which flowed across the plain. Also, it was evident that this country had a large population who cultivated the soil, for by the aid of a pair of field-glasses, one of our few remaining and most cherished possessions, we could see the green of springing crops pierced by irrigation canals and the lines of trees that marked the limits of the fields. Yes, there before us stretched the promised land, and there rose the mystic mound, so that all we had to do was to march down the snow-slopes and enter it where we would. Thus we thought in our folly, little guessing what lay before us, what terrors and weary suffering we must endure before we stood at length beneath the shadow of the symbol of life. Our fatigues forgotten, we returned to the tent, hastily swallowed some of our dried food, which we washed down with lumps of snow that gave us toothache and chilled us inside, but which thirst compelled us to eat, dragged the poor yak to its feet, loaded it up, and started. All this while, so great was our haste, and so occupied were each of us with our own thoughts, that, if my memory serves me, we scarcely interchanged a word. Down the snow-slopes we marched, swiftly and without hesitation, for here the road was marked for us by means of pillars of rock, set opposite to one another at intervals. These pillars we observed with satisfaction, for they told us that we were still upon a highway which led to the promised land. Yet, as we could not help noting, it was one which seemed to have gone out of use, since, with the exception of a few wild sheep-tracks and the spore of some bears and mountain foxes, not a single sign of beast or man could we discover. This, however, was to be explained, we reflected, by the fact that doubtless the road was only used in the summer season, or perhaps the inhabitants of the country were now stay-at-home people who never travelled it at all. Those slopes were longer than we thought, indeed, when darkness closed in we had not reached the foot of them, so we were obliged to spend another night in the snow, pitching our tent in the shelter of an overhanging rock, as we had descended many thousand feet. The temperature proved, fortunately, a little milder. Indeed, I do not think that there were more than eighteen or twenty degrees of frost that night. Also, here and there, the heat of the sun had melted the snow in secluded places, so that we were able to find water to drink, while the yak could fill its poor old stomach with dead-looking mountain mosses, which it seemed to think better than nothing. Again the still dawn came throwing its red garment over the lonesome, endless mountains, and we dragged ourselves to our numbed feet, ate some of our remaining food, and started onwards. Now we could no longer see the country beneath, for it, 
and even the towering volcano were hidden from us by an intervening ridge that seemed to be pierced by a single narrow gully towards which we were headed indeed as the pillar showed us thither ran the buried road by midday it appeared quite close to us and we tramped on in feverish haste as it chanced however there was no need to hurry for an hour later we learned the truth between us and the mouth of the gully rose or rather sank a sheer precipice that was apparently three or four hundred feet in depth and at its foot we could hear the sound of water right to the edge of this precipice ran the path for one of the stone pillars stood upon its extreme brink and yet how could a road descend such a place as that we stared aghast then a possible solution occurred to us don't you see said leo with a hollow laugh the gulf has opened since this track was used volcanic action probably perhaps or perhaps there was a wooden bridge or stairway which has rotted it does not matter we must find another path that is all i answered as cheerfully as i could yes and soon he said if we do not wish to stop here for ever so we turned to the right and marched along the edge of the precipice till a mile or so away we came to a small glacier of which the surface was sprinkled with large stones frozen into its substance this glacier hung down the face of the cliff like a petrified waterfall but whether or no it reached the foot we could not discover at any rate to think of attempting its descent seemed out of the question from this point onwards we could see that the precipice increased in depth and far as the eye could reach was absolutely sheer so we went back again and searched to the left of our road here the mountains receded so that above us rose a mighty dazzling slope of snow and below us lay the same pitiless unclimbable gulf as the light began to fade we perceived half a mile or more in front a bare-topped hillock of rock which stood on the verge of the precipice and hurried to it thinking that from its crest we might be able to discover a way of descent when at length we had struggled to the top it was about a hundred and fifty feet high what we did discover was that here also as beyond the glacier the gulf was infinitely deeper than at the spot where the road ended so deep indeed that we could not see its bottom although from it came the sound of roaring water moreover it was quite half a mile in width whilst we stared round us the sinking sun vanished behind a mountain and the sky being heavy the light went out like that of a candle now the ascent of this hillock had proved so steep especially at one place where we were obliged to climb a sort of rock ladder that we scarcely cared to attempt to struggle down it again in that gloom therefore remembering that there was little to choose between the top of this knoll and the snow plain at its foot in the matter of temperature or other conveniences and being quite exhausted we determined to spend the night upon it thereby as we were to learn saving our lives unloading the yak we pitched our tent under the lee of the topmost knob of rock and ate a couple of handfuls of dried fish and corn cake this was the last of food that we had brought with us from the lamasery and we reflected with dismay that unless we could shoot something our commissariat was now represented by the carcass of our old friend the yak 
Then we wrapped ourselves up in our thick rugs and fur garments, and forgot our miseries in sleep. It cannot have been long before daylight, when we were awakened by a sudden and terrific sound, like the boom of a great cannon, followed by thousands of other sounds which might be compared to the fusillade of musketry. "'Great heaven! What is that?' I said. We crawled from the tent, but as yet could see nothing, whilst the yak began to low in a terrified manner, but if we could not see, we could hear and feel. The booming and cracking had ceased, and was followed by a soft grinding noise, the most sickening sound, I think, to which I ever listened. This was accompanied by a strange, steady, unnatural wind, which seemed to press upon us as water presses. Then the dawn broke, and we saw. The mountainside was moving down upon us in a vast avalanche of snow. Oh, what a sight was that! On, from the crest of the precipitous slopes above, two miles and more away, it came. A living thing, rolling, sliding, gliding, piling itself in long, leaping waves, hollowing itself into the cavernous valleys, like a tempest-driven sea whilst above its surface hung a powdery cloud of frozen spray. As we watched, clinging to each other terrified, the first of these waves struck our hill, causing the mighty mass of solid rock to quiver like a yacht beneath the impact of an ocean roller, or an aspen in a sudden rush of wind. It struck and slowly separated, then, with a majestic motion, flowed like water over the edge of the precipice on either side and fell with a thudding sound into the unmeasured depth beneath. And this was but a little thing, a mere forerunner, for after it, with a slow serpentine movement, rolled the body of the avalanche. It came in combers, it came in level floods, it piled itself against our hill, yes to within fifty feet of the head of it till we thought that even that rooted rock must be torn from its foundations and hurled like a pebble to the depth beneath and the turmoil of it all the screaming of the blast caused by the compression of the air the dull continuous thudding of the fall of millions of tons of snow as they rushed through space and ended their journey in the gulf nor was this the worst of it for as the deep snows above thinned, great boulders that had been buried beneath them, perhaps for centuries, were loosened from their resting places and began to thunder down the hill. At first they moved slowly, throwing up the hard snow around them as the prow of a ship throws foam. Then, gathering momentum, they sprang into the air with leaps such as those of shells ricocheting upon water, till in the end, singing and hurtling, Many of them rushed past, and even over us, to vanish far beyond. Some indeed struck our little mountain, with a force of shot fired from the great guns of a battleship, and shattered there, or, if they fell upon its side, tore away tons of rocks, and passed with them into the chasm, like a meteor surrounded by its satellites. Indeed, no bombardment devised and directed by man could have been half so terrible, or, had there been anything to destroy, half so destructive. The scene was appalling, in its unchained and resistless might, evolved suddenly from the completest calm. 
there in the lap of the quiet mountains looked down upon by the peaceful tender sky the powers hidden in the breast of nature were suddenly set free and companioned by whirlwinds and all the terrifying majesty of sound loosed upon the heads of us two human atoms at the first rush of snow we had leapt back behind our protecting peak and lying at full length upon the ground gripped it and clung there fearing lest the wind should whirl us to the abyss long ago our tent had gone like a dead leaf in an autumn gale and at times it seemed as if we must follow the boulders hurtled over and passed us one of them fell upon the little peak shattering its crest and bursting into fragments which fled away each singing its own wild song we were not touched but when we looked behind us it was to see the yak which had risen in its terror lying dead and headless then in our fear we lay still waiting for the end and wondering dimly whether we should be buried in the surging snow or swept away with the hill or crushed by the flying rocks or lifted and lost in the hurricane how long did it last we never knew it may have been ten minutes or two hours for in such a scene time loses its proportion only we became aware that the wind had fallen while the noise of grinding snow and hurtling boulders ceased very cautiously we gained our feet and looked in front of us was sheer mountain side for a depth of over two miles the width of about a thousand yards which had been covered with many feet of snow was now bare rock piled up against the face of our hill almost to its summit lay a tongue of snow pressed to the consistency of ice and spotted with boulders that had lodged there the peak itself was torn and shattered so that it revealed great gleaming surfaces and pits in which glittered mica or some other mineral the vast gulf behind was half filled with the avalanche and its debris but for the rest it seemed as though nothing had happened for the sun shone sweetly overhead and the solemn snows reflected its rays from the sides of a hundred hills and we had endured it all and were still alive yes and unhurt but what position was ours we dared not attempt to descend the mount lest we should sink into the loose snow and be buried there moreover all along the breadth the pass of the avalanche boulders from time to time still thundered down the rocky slope and with them came patches of snow that had been left behind by the big slide small in themselves it is true but each of them large enough to kill a hundred men it was obvious therefore that until these conditions changed or death released us we must abide where we were upon the crest of the hillock so there we sat foodless and frightened wondering what our old friend Quen would say if he could see us now by degrees hunger mastered all our sensations and we began to turn longing eyes upon the headless body of the yak let's skin him said leo it will be something to do and we shall want his hide to-night so with affection and even reverence we performed this office for the dead companion of our yearnings rejoicing the while that it was not we who had brought him to his end indeed long residence among peoples who believed fully that the souls of men could pass into or would risen from the bodies of animals had made us a little superstitious on this matter it would be scarcely pleasant we reflected 
in some future incarnation to find our faithful friend clad in human form and to hear him bitterly reproach us for his murder being dead however these arguments did not apply to eating him as we were sure he would himself acknowledge so we cut off little bits of his flesh and rolling them in snow till they looked as though they were nicely floored hunger compelling us swallowed them at a gulp it was a disgusting meal and we felt like cannibals but what could we do end of chapter four of h rider haggard asha the return of she read by lars rolander